Jacob Lee, Agent of Pantheon, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen up, Diane. We've got a serious problem here. It looks like these assholes were in the middle of a Viking funeral when we showed up. I say that because it looks like the sinking ship that was on fire is also full of corpses. There must be 50 of these leather-clad freak bags down here. It's like someone flooded an anthill. For the record, I tried to go down into the navigation room, but it's filling up with water. Clearly, something happened here. But soon enough, all the evidence is going to be at the bottom of the ocean. But we've got bigger problems here. If we don't find the asset soon, it might end up going down with the ship. We've checked every place we could think of, but... Diane. One of the lifeboats is missing. Welcome to another exciting episode of Murder Mystery Night, the podcast. I'm your host, Lord Riley Walton, and here to introduce themselves in order of how much they respect my newly christened Scottish lordship are your players. One of you has to go eventually. Hi, everyone. It's me again, Yasir Pope, playing General Disdain. Hello, I'm Mihaela Whitecloud. I play Masquerade, who previously had a very fake British accent, but uh, now it doesn't matter anymore. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Benjamin Lambert. It's me, Snake Root. What wonderful introductions those all were. And now, dear listeners, cast your mind back to the year 2000. The new millennium has just come in. When last we left, General Disdain had been thrown off the side of the ship. As he fell into the icy depths, his vision blurred, and his consciousness left him. Now we see him, stripped of his clothing and lying chained to a bed in a metal room. General, the only other person in the room is not making eye contact with you. They're wearing a purple turtleneck, yellow pants, and black tactical gear. On the wall at the foot of the bed is a long body-length mirror. And next to you, a small metal table. On top of it is your automatic rifle. Only one hand is chained to the bed. If you so desired, you could grab that rifle. General, will you? I want to opt out of reaching for the gun and instead look at the person who is not looking at me and ask, what am I doing here? As the question leaves your lips, the man doesn't turn to you, but he leans into a walkie-talkie on his chest. Sir, he's awake. You hear a faint... Click, and a light comes on behind the mirror. Standing on the other side, you can now see a man in a black suit with a purple tie and a small gold tie pin. He opens the mirror like it's a doorway and steps into the room. Congratulations, Darwin. That was a test. Technically, too, since that gun was underwater with you. And I'm happy to say you passed both of them. Thanks for the participation award. What am I doing here? Why am I chained up? Yeah, I thought you might have a couple of questions. What am I doing here? Well, we'll get to that one. Why are you chained up? Is because you're on our list of the top most wanted. I assume you're thinking, where am I? 
who are you? How did I get here? We picked you up as you were sinking to the bottom of the ocean. You are on a Black Ops-capable Pantheon submarine. And who am I? I'm very special agent Jacob Lee. You and I have a lot to discuss tonight. As long as it ends with me getting out of here and getting what I originally got on that yacht for, I'm all yours. And we will cut away, leaving the briefest of scenes here at the beginning, back to the Jormungandr, where we can see two leather-clad henchmen patrolling the ship. One leans into the other and tells him, Hey, hey, I don't want to be that guy, but, uh... Do you know if we're still getting paid for tonight? Your salary should be the least of your problems. We have more fish to fry, bigger villains, more weapons. Maybe we can leave with that and auction it. Yeah, I understand that, but I mean... I was supposed to get time and a half for this. I'm missing a killer millennium party, dude. And this is the Killer Millennium Party. Are you not familiar? We have left the year 1999 and we're now in Y2K. Oh yeah, that had uh, slipped my mind. As their conversation continues, the two henchmen approach one of the cabins of the yacht where two more henchmen stand guard. They let them in where on the bed is tied and gagged the woman once known as Masquerade. The two guards that are already inside the cabin see that their relief has come and step outside, leaving our double agent to the devices of our two new recruits. Masquerade, what are you going to do? So I assume most of my, if not all of my equipment is taken from me. You've got your clothes on. Good. So you're, you're one up on general disdain. I will check my restraints. Do they feel loose at all? You bet if you really tried, you could wiggle yourself out of that knot. In fact, if you really wanted to, you could probably spit that gag out of your mouth. I will do so. You spit the gag out of your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And as you do, the two henchmen notice that you're trying to get free. Yo, she's not supposed to do that. Oh, you're no longer liking the bondage play, oh, masquerade, or is that even your real name? I could play peekaboo with you and see, you know, I have one than more than one face as well, but I don't think that would amuse you. Dude, this is why we never hang out outside of work. <laughs> now I don't even want to put the gag back on her. Or the both of you could just shut up. It's not like I'm getting away anytime soon. Well, I, yeah, you got me on that one. Why did you come in here again? Those other guys get a break. It's with the union. I was told that you'd be chained up and I was intrigued. You know, yeah. I don't write to my PR about this, please. Dude, you've got two strikes already. Hand me your gun. Last time I checked, we're villains. Uh, correction, henchmen of villains. Are strikes even a thing? <laughs> no, seriously, are they? I have a family to feed at home. Dude, just give me your gun. She could be dangerous. They took mine earlier, and then that guy killed everybody, and then they threw it in the ocean with him. So as they are arguing, quote-unquote masquerade is a little disgusted and disturbed, but as they are, she's going to try and rip her arms out of her restraints. Come on. I'm defenseless over here. 
why would I give you my gun and I'd be defenseless? Hmm, maybe you should have had yours latched onto you tighter. Masquerade wriggles her arms as the henchmen continue to squabble. Soon enough, the ropes fall loose and her arms spring free. The henchmen, however, are still preoccupied with each other. I assume they sent me in this room to either interrogate me and or torture me for information. So are there any weapons, knives, anything I can use to defend myself sitting on a table somewhere? There's a rag and a metal bucket filled with water. And there's also some medical supplies, you know, medical scissors, a scalpel, one of those little dental mirrors. I mean, honestly, why would I give you my gun? You let one of the most dangerous villains in our history take yours and you didn't even notice. What do you mean I didn't notice? I gave it to him willingly. He was like, does anybody have a gun? And I was like, yeah. And I handed it to him. You gave a villain a gun? Blasphemy. Blasphemy? What do you think our job is, man? To hinch. Masquerade is going to pocket the scissors and then she is going to grab the scalpel. And she is going to lunge for the creepy one. With a swift deftness, unlike anything he's ever seen before, the henchman becomes overtaken. You let General Disdain steal your gun and kill- (laughs) Oh my god, dude! She fucking killed you! Masquerade yanks her scalpel from the one and snarls pretty lowly at the other one in an attempt of intimidation. You know, you two really talk too much. It's about time you shut up, yeah? Yeah, that's what my therapist says. Give me your gun and I'll let you live. I don't have a gun. That's what we were arguing about. That guy had a gun that you just killed. Masquerade swipes up the gun off the floor. Oh, fuck. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on. You know what's cool is, is snow and how nice it is tonight. Right? Is that along the lines of... Yeah? (laughs) Are you serious right now? Uh, ostensibly. You're the one I was looking for. I'm Chris, the henchman. You're from Pantheon, right? Yeah. I called you guys a couple weeks ago. What are you doing here? Uh, You're a little late. I'm defecting. I uh, Sorry, I've never done it before. Oh, gentle on me. Well, you certainly aren't what I expected, but I'm afraid you're going to have to do. So, I need you to tell me a couple things first. Like where our weapon is and where Pestilence is. Oh, dude, we got people looking all over for the, for the future. Nobody knows where that thing went. You'd think you'd be able to find a nude cyborg. And my second question, Pestilence? Oh, right. Dr. Pestilence. I'll tell you where he is. Meanwhile, below deck in the cargo area, which I feel the need to specify is not the same as the navigation room from before, we rejoin our beloved Snake Root as they find themselves tied to a chair with jumper cables clamped onto their nipples. Another shock rings through their body as they cry out in pain. (laughs) Their captor strides over. The ground shaking beneath their weight. Now you understand what it feels like, you insolent pest. My, my safe word is pineapple, you motherfucker. Another shock rings out through their system. <laughs> In the shadows of the room, back and forth, paces Dr. Pestilence. 
In his hand, he's holding a mostly charred book. He can't seem to make out what most of it says, but everything he can read really seems to trouble him. He waves over to Mr. Mountain. Mr. Mountain! Stop that! Stop that! I need to talk to him! I need his faculties in order. Dr. Pestilence strides over to you and puts a hand on your shoulder. Now, Doctor, tell me, have you read what's inside this book? I mean, I've read a little bit of it. Uh, probably nothing that interests you all that much. Have you flipped forward to 2001? Uh, no, I haven't. I, uh, wasn't too focused on the future, given our present situation. Well, I did. Right here, the sentence, Human extinction becomes inevitable. Flip forward a couple of years. Human extinction accelerates all the way to 2065. The last human dies. Are there more details about that? Because I mean- Gee, mister, there fucking were! I was a little more preoccupied with uh, your goons and all that shit rather than uh, being a prophet. Yeah, I figured. Zombie, come over oh, here. Fucking damn it. The vial, please. As White Zombie saunters over, she holds in her hand a syringe with a sort of reddish-blackish liquid in it. She walks over and places it in the hands of Dr. Pestilence as she grabs Snake Root by the hair and yanks their head to the side, revealing their neck. You know, I should be used to this given our prior arrangements, but honestly, it's kind of weird if we haven't negotiated this beforehand. Well, you know me, honey. I love a good surprise. And with those words, you feel a strong pinch on your neck as whatever was in that vial gets injected directly into your jugular vein. As blood drips into your eyes from the cuts along your face, you start to feel a faint metallic taste. Snake Root is, instead of uh, giving in to panic or frenzy given the situation, uh, they are going to um, do kind of like one of those reverse headbangs into where White Zombie's face is. With the back of their skull colliding into their former lover's head, White Zombie stumbles backwards, and the syringe comes out of Snake Root's neck. But as it lands on the floor, they can see it's already empty. A feisty one, aren't we? Proclaims Dr. Pestilence. Well, if my time with Thok has taught me anything, it's how to deal with people with attitude. I trust you understand the gravity of what's just happened, Doctor? Well, I figure if I got bombs in my blood, might as well take some of you out with me. You saw what happened to the hair. Not a single scorch mark anywhere around him. It didn't even reach his oxygen tanks. As he's talking to you, Dr. Pestilence reaches down and undoes what is binding you to the chair. Setting you free, in a manner of speaking. Doctor, I'll make this simple. I want that cyborg. You, I assume, don't want to be cooked alive? This needs to come with reassurances, Doctor. If I get this robot for you, this invaluable prize, these bombs get deactivated. Of course. Why, I've never detonated one of these bombs before, and I don't have an inkling to start now. If you scratch my back, Doctor, I'll scratch yours. And to think... The night started off so promising for the two of us. I think you and I remember our interactions a little bit differently, Doctor. 
Well, I suppose it's possible. But what's the point of looking behind? I've got my eyes set on the future. Now march! And we're going to cut away from you! We're going back to... A couple of leagues under the sea and a Pantheon submarine. General Disdain, your one hand is still chained cuffed to that bed. But you now have a silver metal lunch tray sitting in front of you with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a nice cold glass of water. Sitting on a chair facing you, very special agent, Jacob Lee. So, are you ready to talk yet? Yeah, just one question. Shoot. Why am I naked? Well, your clothes were wet. Didn't want you to get hypothermia, which reminds me. And, uh... Jacob Lee snaps his fingers as a door to the room opens and a Pantheon agent comes in with a pair of sweatpants and a pair of boxer briefs. You can bring me pants and underwear, but like no socks or shoes or a shirt. Like, I mean, the sexual attention is kind of here with the cuff already, but I mean. Don't push your luck, Darwin. Uh, Jacob Lee grabs your glass of water and starts drinking it before setting it back down. You applied to work for Pantheon once, if you remember, right after you got rejected from the military. Yeah, they said they didn't want me because of my deformed ears. Well, that's one thing, but we, here at the agency, happened to see your psychological profile. Of course, the higher-ups had some problems with it, but if you ask me, Darwin, you're exactly the kind of person that makes the world go round. Thank you. I, I, I will always accept the recognition. I still dislike you, but I will always appreciate the recognition. That's all right. You don't have to like me. Here, go ahead and get dressed. And while you do it, answer me this. Do you want to know the secret, Darwin? The secret that keeps the human race running? I start to put on my sweatpants, and obnoxiously, I put my briefs over my sweatpants. Do I fit the description now? Am I a special agent like you, Jacob Lee? Am I special? There are no special people. That's part of the secret, Darwin. You see, all of humanity exists on a spectrum. On one end, you have the Lockean man. On the other end, you have the Hegelian. Now, like I said, I've seen your test scores, so I'm not going to bother explaining where those words come from. But think about it like this. The Lockean man has freedom, but no structure. The Hegelian man has structure, but no freedom. Now, everybody wants freedom, but everybody needs structure. And so, the Lockean, the boss, the parent, the general, often finds themselves giving structure to the Hegelian, the worker, the child, the soldier. Um, so... I don't know if you missed this, but I am a villain. I have no care for humankind as a whole. I have my own vendetta. I actually was here to steal a weapon to cause even more, you know, evil, carnage, wrath to the world, desperation, despair, sorrow, madness, anarchy. Yes, you have a general disdain. Oh, yeah, I'm nice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, I've read your profile. So ask yourself this, Darwin. If you are on Pantheon's most wanted list, and we had you naked and chained to a bed, why aren't you dead right now? 
Yeah, I, I would really love to know why I'm not dead yet. I've killed more people than I can say my ABCs repeatedly without skipping a letter. So, I mean, you know, if you got something that you want to tell me, say, say it. Will Darwin and Jacob Lee produces the key to the handcuffs. As long as you promise to behave, I'll promise to tell you. I promise. And click. The handcuffs come undone. As we travel back up the back up to the surface of the sea, onto the Jormungandr, towards our two defectors. Miss Not Masquerade, are you still in the room with Chris the henchman? Yes, and I think it's about time at this point I tell my defector my true identity. Uh, so, do you uh, have a name? My name is uh, Pelenia. Pelenia Webster. Well, uh, Miss Webster. It's just Polenia is fine. All right, then. Just Polenia is fine. Uh, tell me, you got a plan to get out of here? Well, initially I was told that was your idea, but I think my mission also entails I keep you and the asset alive. I would greatly appreciate that. So, we need information on the asset itself, so I guess... We should join the hunt of finding it while avoiding pestilence and the rest of the villain assholes. That sounds like a wonderful idea. I have that guy's gun. And he points to the dead guy on the ground. Take it. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. He bends over and grabs the gun, standing back up, up tall, upright, with his arm in a salute. Are you nervous? Like I said, it's my first time. Okay, well, you need to relax or we're both going to die. Yeah, all right. My therapist says I have anxiety, so I've been meaning to work on that anyways. So, since you found me on this part of the ship, where are we exactly? Uh, you're on the third level of the ship. The only thing above us is the helipad. And uh, this is where most of the cabins are. We've got some cabins below us, too. Uh, it's where people sleep. I think this is the master bedroom, actually. Oh, that's absolutely disgusting. So... What? It's not like he used it. That guy was decrepit. Yeah, and the guy you were with was creepy. That's fair. By the way, you're going to run into that problem a lot. I don't mean to be that guy, but these... They're pretty much Nazis. Listen, I would love to sit here and conversate about our shitty lives. But we have a mission to do, and everything has quite literally flipped in this boat. So we need to find out where... This asset is, or we need to get off of the boat. Preferably both. See, I can be one of those Pantheon guys. Where did you last see the asset? Uh, it was in the auction room. All the lights were going crazy, and that thing was jiggling around, and its eyes stopped glowing. I noticed that. Its eyes stopped glowing when the book stopped glowing. And then all, then right after that, all the lights went crazy, And the fire doors shut, and all the electronics on the boat, they just went kaput. Okay, so the first thing we need to do, most likely, is get that book from Pestilence. Yeah, yeah, all right, cool. He's he's down on the uh, sub-level. How are we going to get you down there? You look like Michelle Pfeiffer. Do they vacuum seal you into that suit? Jesus Christ. I can understand why you wore a tuxedo over top of it. Thank you. 
They're like Uma Thurman in the Avengers. So, Polenia just ignores him and peeks out into the hallway. As you open the door to the hallway, uh, you can, just a crack, I assume. Mm. You can see the two armed guards that are standing in front of your room that I mentioned earlier. So I need you to turn around and close your eyes. Are you going to do some super secret spy stuff? We can call it that, sure. All right, cool. And Chris the henchman turns around and closes his eyes. Uh, Polenia is going to strip creepy guard of his suit and put it on herself. Should I be expecting an explosion or something? No, you should just keep your eyes closed because I uh, am indecent. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, that's very flattering, but uh, I'm gay. Same, and you're not my type. So let's just oh. this professional. Uh, still turned around with his hands over his eyes. We should, like, make a support group or a book club. You should turn back around. Have you read The Shape of Light you Underwater? You really turn back around. You got it. Uh, turning back around, Chris the henchman can now see that you have disguised yourself as one of the henchmen, uh, covering up any female attributes that you might have and in that bulky coat and those leather military pants, everybody sort of looks the same. You slip the gas mask of the henchman over top of your face, thus completing the ensemble. How long do these watches typically last? Well, those guys, their break is coming up to an end pretty soon. So, uh, let's see, it's a 15-minute break. They left 14 minutes ago. So, so now? We should pull them back in the room, quietly take them out. You got it. Uh, Chris the henchman walks over to the door and opens it wide. Holy shit, you guys won't believe this. She just disappeared. Check it out. And the other two henchmen, they share wide-eyed, shocked glances and run back into the room. As soon as one of them runs in, I am going to forcefully grab him and lift up the mask enough to where I can get the knife underneath. You kill the first henchman as Chris... Beats the second one with the butt of his gun. Oh, I'm so sorry. You did good. This is going to be so bad for our softball league. Good work. And I assume they have weapons. They all have automatic rifles. Every henchman you're going to come across has one. Palenia picks up one of the rifles, checking it, making sure it's loaded, as she was trained to do by Pantheon. And she is going to head to the sub-level after Dr. Pestilence. And off you go as Chris, who was never told what you were doing, lumbers after you. You can... We're hey. going for pestilence to get the book. Hey, wait for me! Meanwhile, Snake Root, uh, you've been set free, set loose on the ship with the express orders to find the future and return it and return her to Dr. Pestilence. How are you going about that? Uh, Snake Root is going to walk around the hallways very loudly, being like, Ah, yeah, it's me, Snake Root, working on behalf of Dr. Pestilence. I am friends with the power structure of this ship right this moment. If anyone wants to help me look for the future, that'd be pretty cool. And where are you walking towards? 
Uh, I mean, I'm heading out of that cargo room. I'm going for the bar. Don't really care if the future's there. Maybe she needs a stiff drink, too. All I know is Snake Root needs one desperately. As you make your way to the bar, you can see that it's been ransacked. All the vodka is missing, and so is the little flamethrower that's used to make the flaming zombies. Good thing I'm not much of a vodka drinker anyway, I guess. Um, I grab the nearest bottle. I'm going to pour myself a glass of whiskey as I investigate the um, missing items. Whiskey in hand, beat, bloodied, and bruised, you snoop through the bar, and you can also see that one of the old bar rags is missing. Well, this is obviously a Molotov cocktail of some sort. (laughs) I want to look to see if there are any, like, distinctive boot tracks or anything. You don't see any boot tracks, but leading towards the wall, you can see one or two drops of something. It could be vodka, it could be water, but it is clear and it's very, very faint. I mean, I've got bad things in my blood already, so if it's like not great, I'm still going to do a taste test. You dip a finger into the liquid, bring it up to your lips, tastes salty. Almost like medicine. There's the tracks. Um, Snake Root's going to make a quick... um, I'm going to take a bottle and a rag for the road, just in case. And are you following those tracks, I take it? I am, because, I mean, worst comes to worst, I have a Molotov cocktail. Best comes to best, I can pour a new friend a drink. With a bottle of alcohol in one hand and a rag in the other, your eyes follow the... Faint drip drops of medical solution to a ventilation cover on the wall. Good thing my name's Snake Root. Got snake in it. Gonna be slithering in a vent. I'm talking to myself a lot to cope because I'm in a bad mood. Snake Root crawls in the vent. You make your way into the ventilation system and we make our way back to the submarine. General, you have been set free of your bonds, and you and very special agent Jacob Lee are walking through the submarine. You can see it is bustling with life. Pantheon agents run back and forth. Uh, You can see that the submarine itself is heavily armed, not just with missiles, but with something else that fires out of the torpedo bay, but you can't really tell what it is. As you continue walking with Jacob Lee, the two of you continue your conversation from earlier. Very nice ship you've got here, very special agent, Jacob Lee. Um, I have one question for you before we continue with our, you know, due process. Um, where were you when the auction started and uh, died? I was down here waiting for word from our spy. However, it seems that word never came. Who's your spy? Nice try, Darwin. A key factor of the intelligence field is learning when to withhold it. Sure. Um, so when am I going to actually get back up to the ship? Like, you know, this is nice sizing, missiles, unknown other weapons that could possibly end the world or something. But, you know, we're farther below. I mean, I have so many questions and half of them won't get answered. So, you know, I just want to know what the actual plan is. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there, Darwin. My name is General Disdain. I am a villain. I have earned that rep. I'm not Darwin anymore. 
that's exactly the type of thing I wanted to talk to you about. What you just expressed is called thymotic desire. It's why everybody wants freedom. Because they long to be recognized. Not just as a person, but as the person they want to be. Now, a key tenant of recognition is context. You want to be called general disdain because you believe it puts you at a position of authority. It makes you the Lockean and them the Hegelian. Now, I've been describing this dichotomy as if it were absolute, but what I said earlier, it's a spectrum. You can fall anywhere on it, and the goal for society is to fall right in the middle. Let me ask you a question, General. When do you think society reached the apex between Hegelian and Lockean? When a difference was made between the two. Incorrect. The exact date is December 3rd, 1989. Do you know what ended that day? The Cold War. Very good, General. We reached an equilibrium between the Hegelian and the Lockean mindset. Those with freedom have structure. But now, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the aftermath thereof, so prominently filling our 24-hour news cycle, we also have the context to see life both without structure and without freedom, allowing for an apex of thymotic satisfaction in the civilized world. This is what we're hoping to maintain. This is the joy of liberal democracy. And this is the reason you're not in chains right now, General. As you two continue talking, he comes upon a large, almost vault-like door. He begins to enter in a code into the little keypad next to the door. You see, General, you and the people on that boat allow for context. So, what I'm hearing is, you're just like every one of these public government officials. You want to keep everybody distracted with the same old, same old. There's a set list of ideals and visions that everyone has, but it's the same. They have the same mindset. That's not really what I got into this game for. I wanted power. I wanted domination. I wanted fear when fear deserved to be shed onto people who disrespected me. And it all started with these two right here. See, I'm hearing you, but I'm not listening. And I don't think you're listening. I want to kill. I want to destroy. I can understand what you're saying. Let me reassure you. I don't mean to be talking about ideals. These are simply the unspoken laws of nature that guide us. Now, I work for Pantheon, and Pantheon works for the United Nations, and the United Nations demands that a certain amount of peace be kept in the world. So, General, as long as you let me wrap up my lesson here, and Jacob Lee opens the door, revealing behind him a stunning armory of the kinds of weapons and tactical gear you've never even seen before, then my only order to you, General, would be to put on some real clothes. Well, yeah, shit, you should have started with this room. Next time you chain me up ass naked, I want to wake up here with a PB&J. As you step into the armory, Jacob Lee follows, a smile creeping onto his face. Back in the vents of the Jormungandr, uh, we find Snakeroot, 
crawling ever closer to their target, Snake Root. As you're stuck in this tight metal tube, I want to know what you're thinking about. Could be worse. At least I don't have to deal with white zombie up here in the vents. You come across a fork in the road, so to speak. One vent leads up, another vent leads down. Where are you going? And I slide down belly first. You slide belly first and come crashing out back in the medical room. Looking down, you can see the spent bullet casing from earlier, but now you can also see Hitler's gun. It wasn't there before. And following up with your eyes, there she sits. The future. The wires that once connected her to her machine have been frayed. And she sits curled up into a ball in the corner. A vodka-soaked rag in one hand and a blowtorch in the other. Looking faintly, you can see a dent in the metal of her skull. And it almost sounds, if she could, like she'd be crying. She hasn't noticed you yet. Excuse me, uh, ma'am. Looks like you're kind of down and out right now. Um, mind if I sit? Upon hearing your voice, she looks up in fear and scurries further to the back corner. Her eyes glow slightly purple and the lights in the room shut off as the electronic door slides closed. I set down the scotch and I put my hands up to make myself seem as non-threatening as possible. And I say, listen, it's all right. I don't have any grand plans here to do whatever the hell. Honestly, it seems like it's more trouble than it's worth, and I'm not a big fan of subjugation, because it seems like you're a person who's got a will of their own, and I'm not privy to making that something I'm auctioning on. Do you mind if I sit? She stands against the wall opposite of you, pushing herself against it, trying to get as far away from you as she can, but she does look to the hospital bed in front of her, uh, motioning for you to sit down. Uh, Snake Root takes a seat. As you do sit down, she circles around you, stepping as far away as she can, and tries to scan the grounds, trying to find Hitler's gun. You know, if you're looking for that gun on the ground, I could help you find it. You don't have to be afraid to rely on some help from others. She stops moving, but doesn't seem quite like she still trusts you. You can see the plate that covers where her mouth used to be is moving, but... She can't form any words. How about I get you some paper um, and maybe a pen? If there's any around here, it's a medical room. I assume there's some stuff around here. And you could write whatever you want to say to me. Um, if you're still looking for that gun, I can grab that too. She stops for a second, but eventually she nods her head. And we will cut away from you back to Pelenia Webster, agent of Pantheon. You and Chris the Henchman are walking along... The ship, where are you going? You're leading the way. I am headed towards the sub-level where I was told Dr. Pestilence was last. As you make your way towards the sub-level, you pass a row of three lifeboats. And as you do, Chris tries to grab your attention. Come on. Hey. 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 What? I found a way off. Chris, that's great and all, but we have to find the asset first, or at least get the book first. Though I did burn most of it. Yeah, I was gonna say, you burnt that book! That's supposed to be our job! That was a little Nazi humor for you. Yes, it was appreciated, thank you. 
Um, but it might be better if we do... I considered a career in stand-up. I, that's great. But I think we should focus. I think we should grab the book even if it is mostly charred. And I think it may be better if we are one villain short in this world. And that starts with pestilence. Wouldn't that have started like two weeks ago when you killed Masquerade? I didn't kill Masquerade. Oh. Uh, when whoever killed Masquerade did that? Look, okay, we... I didn't kill Masquerade. I'm just pretending to be her. I've been caught. This mission's gone super wacky. And we need to focus and, and at least obtain what we can for Pantheon. Yeah. All right. I mean, this is a great idea. Truly. I mean, if we get the book, then, you know, and I assume you can contact Pantheon to come get us, right? They told me you had a communicator. Okay, well, when Herr Akinator decided to uh, self-explode, my mask deactivated, as did my comps. Ah, dude. Well, what's the plan? Well, what's the play, Sugar Ray? Okay, you don't need to call me that. But you got it. Joe Bonnet. That's worse. I'm just going to move on. Um, I don't think Joe Bonnet is need, a person. We need to get the book on Pestilence, so let's just try and focus on that. I can try and take Pestilence down. If you can get the book and I'm not with you, run back here and take the boats. Say no more, Tupac Shakur. I think Polenia just rolls her eyes, despite the slight... Uh, smile, the first one in a while, scraping up the edges of her face, though she tries to force it down. Ah, I'm getting to you. I can see you underneath that gas mask. It's the eyes. They start to squint a little bit. I'm just going to keep walking. That book club's getting more real by the second. <laughs> and uh, the two of you make your way down to the lower level. And as you two make your way to the cargo bay, Snake Root, you're back in that medical room, and now pieces of paper litter the floor with sayings such as, they offered me help before. It's so cold in the Arctic Circle, and I'm over a hundred years old. Snake Root, how are you responding to all this information that this poor girl has given you? What do you need from me or for anyone for that matter you've been around for a long time and a lot of that's been suffering i assume and i can't imagine you ever had a friendly genuinely friendly presence in your life and i mean call it southern hospitality or what but i'm kind of inclined to help someone in your shoes she thinks for a second before writing down on the paper uh, she writes longer than she's written before, and you peek over trying to see what she's written. Finally, she tears the piece of paper off of the pad, and she hands it to you. In a crude, difficult handwriting, uh, it says, I've helped so many kill so many more. I want the last death to be me. But they've taken apart all the parts of me that are human. A bullet cannot pierce my skin. Water cannot enter my lungs. You're probably the most knowing source out there, given all you're capable of. Is there anything that can kill you? Uh, she continues writing. 
She says she doesn't know, now that her programming has been completed, since she reached the end of human history. She's no longer compelled by an outside force to use her psychic powers, and because of the trauma that it's granted to her, she has no desire to either. Why are you looking for the gun, then? Could that be something? Uh, she writes down, because you scared me. You know what? Fair enough. I would probably also be scared of a person sliding face first out of a vent into your room. Well, let's think of the immediates here. Ultimately, if we stay on this boat, uh, they're going to kill, or not kill, they're going to kill me. Um, but they will probably force you to do more of what you've been doing. And I assume you don't want that, so we should probably get on out of here. She writes down quickly on another piece of paper. I saw lifeboats. All right, uh, you can lead the way. I'll follow. She crawls back into the vent, and you crawl in after her. And Snake Root, we are going to cut away from you. Back to, for our last time tonight, General Disdain and Jacob Lee. General, you've been in the armory where there's tactical gear and weapons galore. Why don't you tell us some of the stuff you grabbed? Uh, I ended up picking up a whole bunch of um, smoke grenades, flashbangs. Um, I didn't want something too explosive because, you know, it might end up causing detrimental damage somewhere else I need to get. So I got my grenades. I also have my, uh, I have a silenced pistol now. You know, I picked that up after I hide my steps. And I got more hunting knives to duck and throw at people. I also picked up an Picked up an AR-15. I picked up a automatic assault rifle. And I picked up a Smith & Wesson. As you step forward, showing off your wares, uh, and including not just the weapons that you've gathered, but the tactical gear that you've strapped onto your body, uh, military pants, bulletproof vests, night vision goggles, combat boots... The whole nine yards, you hear a faint clap coming from Jacob Lee. Well, look at you. You're a veritable walking battalion. I find those choices interesting, but I suppose they're your choices to make. Come with me, General. I'll be putting you on a ship. It'll take you wherever you want to go. Uh, Jacob Lee starts walking. Are you going to follow him? Yeah. As the two of you keep walking, uh, Jacob Lee... Turns back to you. So, General, you understand what I've been telling you about uh, the th the equilibrium we've reached between the Lockean man and the Hegelian state. Yeah, I'm putting down. Which I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. The fact that uh, this allows for an apex of thymotic satisfaction. Yeah, you really like those words, huh? I'll be honest, they help me win at Scrabble. You see, peace is such a relative term, General. The UN, the UN declares that we keep the peace. The way that we here at Pantheon have interpreted that direction is to make sure that in the civilized world there is, that in the civilized world there is as much thymotic satisfaction as is possible. 
that the balance between Lockean and Hegelian is maintained. We want to stay where we are. And good news for us, there is no force in motion in the world today that has both the intent and the ability to throw off that equilibrium. There are those with the intent, say in the Middle East or in parts of Africa or South America, and there are those with the ability, the United States, China, Japan. Right? There's nobody that has both. You understand, of course, that the weapon on that ship would change things. Yeah, that's why I wanted it. And you understand that would throw off the equilibrium. That would mean that people like us, the good guys, would have to be a lot less kind to people like you. And whom is to say that you're the good guys? Well, I suppose that honor... I suppose that decision goes to whoever writes history. But in case you've forgotten, for a long time, General, that was us. As the two of you... As your conversation draws to an end, the two of you walk back into the torpedo bay, where he points you towards one of those strange objects from earlier that you couldn't recognize. Soon, a door on the back of it begins to open up, and you can see that it's a transport of sorts. General, this is your ride. It'll take you wherever you want to go. And with those words, Jacob Lee leaves the room, leaving you alone, armed, and with a means of transport. General, what are you going to do? Hey, is this thing on? Send me back to the yacht. I got business to handle. And with those words, the door closes behind you, and the transport fires you off. As you leave, you can see the submarine behind you is turning and making its way back towards land. Bringing us now, finally, for the last time, to Masquerade. Polenia, you and Chris are standing at the entryway down to the cargo hold. He is waiting for your go-ahead, clutching his... Automatic rifle close to his chest. What are you going to do? So I will glance over at Chris, and I will tell him, um, all right, we've got a simple plan. I will go for Pestilence, keep him distracted, and I assume White Zombie and all the other clusterfucks will be there too, so you can grab the book. Aye, aye, Captain. Although, we're going to do a different book for the book club, though, right? If I live long enough, I might take you up on that. Oh, I knew we were buddies. All right, come on, bud. Masquerade will uh, very swiftly make her way inside. And as you do make your way inside, Chris follows behind. The two of you come into the room where you can see Mr. Mountain, White Zombie, and Dr. Pestilence, along with a handful of henchmen, maybe ten. Dr. Pestilence is holding the book in his hand, still trying to discern any information he can. How far away is he? He is on the other side of the room. Let's say he is 20 feet away from you. Do I have a clear shot? You definitely do. I am going to heft the rifle up, and I'm going to aim right for the back of Pestilence's skull. As you lift the rifle, nobody seems to notice. Your finger moves to the trigger, and just as you tighten, 
Bang! However, the sound did not come from your own gun. It came from the hull of the ship. As water rushes in, smoke fills the room. Do I see him at all, or do I just see him? You see smoke, and you can feel water rushing in. You're jostled as the boat shakes, and you fall down to one knee. I will quickly try and um, guide Chris with me and try and follow the last location I saw him. Uh, are you talking to Chris? Yes. I will tell Chris. All right. Remember that clusterfuck I was talking about? It's getting worse. So let's go. Yeah, I noticed. Come on. We don't have to stay here. We can just get to the... We can just get to the lifeboat. Come on. As he's talking, you hear the sound of metal scraping against metal. It's like a door is being opened. Does he appear in any danger? Chris? Yes. Well, he's certainly very scared. Look, I understand you're scared. I get it. I'm scared too. A lot is happening and it's very bad. But if we don't do this, a lot of people are going to suffer for it. And we might not even get our book club anymore. So I need you to focus, and I need you to work with me. Uh, Water sloshes under his feet as he steadies himself, and he offers a hand to lift you back to your feet. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, come on. I take his hand. He pulls you up, and as you stand, you notice a hole has appeared. Straight through the man's skull. And with a splash, Chris falls to the ground at your feet. Looking up, you can see the man who shot him. Armed to the teeth and emerging from the smoke is General Disdain. Thus concludes another chapter of Murder Mystery Night, the podcast brought to you by Johnny Scott's Comics and Games, located at 1703 East Main Street in Kent, Ohio. I have been your host, Lord Riley Walton. You can find me at the Faker Walton on Twitter. I've been your lovely little court jester, Benjamin S. Lambert. You can find me at the Lemon Ben on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for tuning in, cool cats and kittens. This has been Mahalo White Cloud. You can find me either working at the store or on Instagram as Menfea. And lastly, my, it's me, Yasir Pope. I just wanted to say thank you for all the support this fall in the season. And you can find me on Instagram at uh, Yasir P with two other schools. Thank you. And make sure you follow us all on Instagram at Murder Mystery Night Podcast. Our music is by Max Lazanich, and our cover art is by Stephen T. Evans. Once again, this has been Murder Mystery Night, the podcast. Everyone has their secret. What's yours?